What's up, everybody? We are back. Backstreet's back. Well, I'm back. And I guess Backstreet's back. I'm 48 years old, and I still love that song, even though I was too old for it when it come out. Anyway, this is Celluloid Fever Dreams. I am your host, as always, the late, the great, the overweight, Wyndham Jennings. We, uh, we had to take a break for a while. Uh, I know I hadn't done an episode since uh, the early part of March, but March just hit me and my family pretty hard. Had to replace the windshield on my car. Uh, my wife's windshield got damaged and cracked and had to get repaired. Uh, our foundation, uh, what well, our foundation been bad for a while, but the back half of our basement had started to sink, and the front half of our basement had water collecting behind the wall, and it was starting to bulge in, so we had to get both of those taken care of. And um, I'm still working six days a week, so it's a uh, it's, it's been pretty rough for the past few few weeks. Uh, and a new Borderlands game came out, and that's one of my favorite game series. So I had to take a few days uh, to get that out of my system before I started recording episodes again. But this week we're going to 2007, and I know I'm going to mispronounce his name, but uh, the first feature-length film from Taika Watiti. A romantic comedy called Eagle vs. Shark. The tagline for it is Opposites. Unattractive. So we'll start with our two-second synopsis, as always. Um, well, the best thing I can come up with is actually what uh, Watiti described it as. Unromantic comedy. Stuff happens. For a uh, much longer synopsis, Lily works at a fast food restaurant in a mall in New Zealand. She doesn't have very many friends. Uh, most of her co-workers can't stand her. Her boss doesn't really like her either. She lives with her brother in their parents' house. And she has a huge crush on Jared, who works at the local video game store down the hall in the mall. That did not need to rhyme. They get together at a costume party that Jared and his roommates throw, where you're, you come dressed as your favorite animal. Uh, Lily comes as a shark, and Jared comes as an eagle. From there, Lily follows Jared back to his small hometown, where he is going to confront and uh, finally duke it out with his high school bully. Revenge 20 years in the making. She meets his equally weird family, uh, catches him in several lies, and they, well, break up for a little bit in the film before finally, of course, being a romantic comedy, everything uh, wrapping up together in the end. And I don't consider that a spoiler. I mean, it's a romantic comedy. Uh, I mean, it's an unromantic comedy. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't be one of those type of films if they didn't get back together in the end and somebody learned a lesson. I can't remember where I first encountered this film. At one point, I actually owned the DVD to it. Uh, and I don't know what happened to it. I... I could have sworn it survived the great purge of my collection uh, when I was downsizing, but I guess not. Uh, having said that, it is an incredibly weird film, but I don't, know, I don't know if that's really the correct way to put it. It's not uh, your average romantic comedy. Uh, Watiti, in some interviews I read of him, him talking about the film, said he purposely did not watch romantic comedy films in order to avoid some of the tropes and uh, story beats 
that they usually have. He wanted to make something a little unique. Uh, in his vision, he wanted something that was half romantic comedy and a half uh, artsy um, festival-style film. And there are some sequences that are like that. There's some actual stop-motion sequences in the film. Uh, Jared's eating an apple while they're on the, on the uh, way to his hometown. He takes a bite out of it, and the core is rotten, and he just throws it out the window. There's a little stop-motion action sequence of the rotten apple trying to survive in the wilderness. Just comes out of left field. It pays off at the end with a different apple. And if that doesn't make sense, trust me, in the context of the film, if you go and watch it, it will. As always, I'm trying to avoid as many spoilers as I can. Because there's just some scenes that I feel you have to see without being spoiled at all, without any kind of warning. There's just several... uh, The confrontation, final confrontation between Jared and his bully is something that you need to see just unprepared and in the context of the film. I'm not going to talk about it. It's probably one of my favorites. This is my favorite scene in the film and definitely one of my favorite scenes in a film, period. Uh, So I guess spoilers for the end of this episode. uh, I do like this film. One of the things I kept seeing online while trying to research the film, and there wasn't a whole lot online about it, I was able to find a couple of interviews and uh, then some some uh, you know critic reviews and, and such, but a lot of things people kept pointing out was it reminded them of Napoleon Dynamite, which had come out uh, just a few years before this film. And surface level, I'll agree with them. It is a film about uh, you know quirky, weird people in a small town, and you know how their lives intersect with each other. But that's pretty much as deep as it goes. Napoleon Dynamite, which is another film I really like, it's kind of up my alley in terms of you know, humor and, and uh, characters and whatnot. At the end of the day, Napoleon Dynamite is still a pretty light-hearted film. It's a very positive film. And Eagle vs. Shark is, you know, it, it is light-hearted, but it's not afraid to really, it, it does get dark in a few scenes. As Lily uncovers some of Jared's secrets, as she meets his family, and uh, you know, some of the problems that are going with, on within it, it does get pretty dark a few times. Uh, you know, it does go places that you know Napoleon Dynamite wouldn't even think about going. Uh, you know, so I will give you that both both films have you know quirky characters. Uh, both of them have that cringe humor in a few areas. Both of them have. Uh, what I'm just going to call a good heart. You know what I mean? Uh, being true to yourself. You know, the idea that everybody has somebody out there that's going to love them uh, for who they are. They're both ultimately films that, you know, they both left me feeling good, you know, and, and happy. But at the same time, Eagle versus Shark, once I start delving into... You know, some of the things that Jared has told Lily about himself that turn out not to be true. Uh, the truth about his brother and his mother. And, you know, just some of the family dynamic and, and uh, some of the things he does when they get back to his hometown. It, it does go, it does take things a little bit more seriously. Some of the content a little bit more seriously than Napoleon Dynamite did. Now, the idea of an unromantic comedy isn't just something that uh, Watiti did. 
The film was written by, well, the story came from Lauren Horsley, who also plays Lily. Uh, since the film has come out, Lauren's gotten married. Now she goes by Lauren Taylor in a project. She's still acting. Uh, she's she's really, uh, you know, I looked up her IMDb page. Uh, she's you know been acting for over 20 years now. And on top of that, she's a producer, a writer, a voice actor. She's done uh, casting for several films. I mean, she's, you know, really a multi-talented uh, lady. You know, done all kinds of jobs in, in film. You know, for uh, so many of these episodes, I'll just go to IMDb to get credits. And, it, you know, you might see actor and then some, you know, maybe director, maybe producer, depending on who it is. So, yeah, I was just amazed to keep scrolling and scrolling and seeing all the stuff she's worked on in different capacities. Uh, some of the things she's acted in, just real quick since we're already here, uh, Xena, Diagnosis Death, Existence, uh, This Town. She came up with the story for Shark vs. Eagle. She, like I said, she's done voice act, voiceover work uh, most recently in Bluey, the cartoon show, uh, as well as doing casting not only for this film and what we do in the shadows, but also the TV series Top of the Lake. Lauren uh, said in one interview I read with her and, and Watiti that the character of Lily started out as just you know, her creating a character based around her insecure teenage years. And she said the gist of the story, as she pitched it to uh, Watiti and as they worked on it together, was that she wanted a, a movie where the character being in love probably wasn't the best thing for them to be at that point in their life. And the person they were in love with is probably not someone who really deserved their love. And I, I gotta admit, that kind of hits hard when you, you, you um, read that and realize that's where the story come from. The uh, two of them working together uh, quickly expanded the idea and the core of the, the story into a full script. The uh, script was submitted to Sundance, and the, the two of them spent July of 2005 workshopping the script in the Sundance Directors and Screenwriters Lab. Lauren said in one interview that in order to, you know, while they were working on the script and to help, uh, help her refine the character, she would go out in public as Lily during the workshop. And she said that it was just amazing to her the difference in how she was treated as Lily versus, versus how she was treated when she was just herself. Now, she didn't say she did anything physically different. I know for the movie, she dyed her hair. Uh, she's normally blonde in the, the movie. She's more of a, I, don't know, I call it a mousy kind of brown. Uh, but she did say that when she went out as Lily, people would part like the Red Sea to avoid her or avoid having to interact with her. She compared it to dogs smelling fear. She said going out as Lily, who has no confidence, it really helped her you know, understand the character and what it would be like being her day in and day out. And, and I gotta say, Lily is the heart of this movie. Uh, Lauren's performance as her is just uh, amazing. You just want to yank her out of the screen and hug her and tell her everything's going to be all right. You know, she's just so put upon. You know, she, the highlight of her day is when Jared comes in for lunch every day. Like, that's it. And the first time you see him come in in the film... He, you know, he, she's got no one in her line. She's deliberately done 
stuff, you know, drove people off to keep her line clear so the other lines would back up and he'd have to come to her. And yet when he sees her, he starts to get into a different line. Okay, that's the kind of thing that she's putting up with. Uh, they have to downsize and they pull names randomly out of a hat and she's getting fired. They tell her she can finish out her week. And then when she's empty in the trash, she finds the, the notes that the manager's dumped in there and her, you know, it's maybe 20, 30 sheets of paper all folded up with just her name on it. She doesn't even get invited to the party. She ultimately meets Jared at. Jared invites one of her co-workers he has a crush on. And because the co-worker doesn't go and throws the you know, invitation away saying, I'm not going to that, she fishes it out of the trash and convinces her brother to go with her to the party just so that she can finally talk to Jared. Uh, and I gotta say, I love the relationship between her and her brother, uh, Damon, played by Joel Tobeck, who you've seen in such films as 30 Days of Night, uh, Mortal Engines, the TV shows Ash versus the, yeah, Ash versus the Evil Dead, and Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, uh, as well as a small part in the Nicolas Cage film Ghost Rider. Uh, but like I said, I do love their relationship in the film. He's so supportive of her, and the sequence where he drives uh, her and Jared to Jared's hometown is another, to me, really good one in the film. And one of the few times in the film you actually empathize with Jared as you they really get across his unease at being trapped in a car with two people who have known each other their whole lives, have this special bond between them, you know, all the in-jokes, all the little, you know, secret things they can say to each other, all the games they play, and you're the odd man out, and there's not really a lot you can do about it. And, you know, Lauren and Joel, it says something about them, too. They're very believable as brother and sister. Jared himself is played by Jermaine Clement. Clement? Yeah, Clement. We're going with Clement. But uh, you may recognize him from such things as Flight of the Concords. What We Do in the Shadows, The Breaker Upperers, try saying that three times fast, uh, also Gentleman Broncos, uh, Dinner for Schmucks, as well as doing voiceover work for the uh, Pixar Disney film Moana. Uh, it's a character that he's, uh, it's a variation of a character he's played in uh, other things. You know, Jared is a mixture of unlikable jackass and overconfident, mediocre white guy. You know, and throwing it back, again, people compared him to Napoleon Dynamite. And no, Napoleon Dynamite is like the sexiest, suavest person alive compared to Jared in this film. You know, like I said, there's very few scenes in the film where you empathize with him. And every time you do, they pull the rug out from under you again to remind you that, no, he's pretty much an irredeemable jackass. I can, honestly, I cannot think of another film off the top of my head that I've watched where I, I actively rooted against the couple getting back together. So, yeah, again, call back to uh, you know, Lauren talking about she wanted to do a movie where you know, maybe being in love at this particular point in your life and with this particular person isn't the smartest decision you could be making. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 hammered home pretty good in this film, uh, in the form of Jared. Yeah, and and honestly, talking about every time you empathize with him, they pull the rug out from under you. 
the the climax of the film where he finally confronts his bully uh, is, is the perfect example of that I'm, I am not going to spoil it. I so want to talk about it because to me it it is the perfect summation of his character and all of his flaws. But at the same time, one of the reasons I do this podcast is I want you guys to find these movies and I want you to watch them. And it is a scene that works so much better if you go in blind to it. It, it honestly does. Uh, in a surprising bit of candor, uh, as I mentioned, Lily is based on Lauren uh, Horsley as a teenager, or uh, or Lauren Taylor. Jared is, uh, according to Watiti himself in, in one of the interviews, loosely based on him. He said he, the character is all of his bad traits uh, taken to an extreme. Uh, in fact, Lauren and Watiti were in a relationship, for uh, were in a long-term relationship, uh, during the pre-production and production of the film. And uh, both of them had been friends with Jermaine for years as well. I think the three of them met in uh, university. You know, so between the three of them, they had a lot of material to draw on for the Jared and Lily relationship. In uh, one interview, Waditi actually said that, you know, that he was asked how hard was it to direct his uh, girlfriend and his best friend as a romantic couple, and he said it didn't bother him at all because you know he trusted the both of them, had known them for so long, and yet uh, Jermaine Clement, Clement said in an interview that uh, it was one of the most difficult shoots he had ever been on because he's having to shoot romantic scenes with uh, you know with his best friend and the boyfriend of the actress he's in the scene with standing over and watching and directing it so that he does it right. Uh, and just realized we hadn't really talked about it. Let's let's go a little bit more in depth into uh, uh, Taika Watiti. I still hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, this is his first feature-length film as a director. He had done a few short films before this, including John and Pogo and Two Cars One Night. Uh, it was the second full-length script he had written. Uh, in fact, this was also the second script he had workshopped at Sundance. Uh, he said he ultimately decided to do Eagle versus Shark first because out of the two scripts, he thought this was the easier one for him to do, the uh, you know, a better way for him to ease into feature-length directing as opposed to the uh, other film that I apparently didn't put down in my notes. Of course, some of the other films he has done since then include What We Do in the Shadows, Boy, Hunt for the Wilder People, which is one everybody keeps recommending to me but I hadn't watched yet, uh, Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, in which he played Hitler as well. Some of the TV shows he's been involved with include Flight of the Concords, Wellington Paranormal, Our Flag Means Death, which is uh, at the time of the recording just started on HBO Max, and the FX show Reservation Dogs. Uh, I was actually surprised doing research for this film how much uh, Watiti is involved in the arts. You know, besides. You know, film work as a writer, producer, director. Uh, he's also done artwork and and had uh, you know had some shows. He's done some uh, design work for some organizations in his native New Zealand. Uh, it just you know, like I said again, like like uh, Lauren Horsley, just kind of surprised by all the things he's you know, all the uh, fingers he's had his pie all the pies he's had his fingers in over the years and some of the things that he's done. I uh, want to talk a little bit you know, about some of the other things I liked about the film. 
enjoyed the soundtrack. The soundtrack was mainly produced by the Phoenix Foundation, which is a band from Wellington that Watiti uh, is friends with, and they've provided music for several of his projects, not just this one. And it also had additional music composed by Age Prior and the Reduction Agents. Uh, but one of the other things I want to talk about is during the Come as Your Favorite Animal party, they have a video game tournament for a game called Fight Man. And to, to give you an idea of the kind of humor in the film, I, you know, I mentioned the cringe humor. Everybody has to pick a nickname for the tournament uh, you know, as, as they uh, go through. And they ask Lily what hers is going to be. And you know, the only thing she can think of off the top of her head is dangerous person. And then we're treated to her having to put her name into the game before she can start. As everybody just stands around waiting for her to click through ABC to each one of the, the letters. Uh, yeah, so that sort of awkward, uh, you know, secondhand embarrassment type humor uh, tends to revolve around the, you know Lily's character, but the thing I want to bring up about with Fight Man is it's obviously you know based on the old '90s uh, Mortal Kombat games, supposedly. But honestly, looking at it, I didn't immediately think of Mortal Kombat in that it's—I I mean, it is in that it's actual people in costume performing the maneuvers in front of a computer-generated backdrop, and there's kill moves. But honestly, given the look of the game and the you know decided lack of polish to it, it more reminded me of, and, and I'm definitely aging myself here, reminded me of a 3DO. Anybody else remember the 3DO video game system from like the mid-90s? Uh, it reminded me of a 3DO game by Naughty Dog called Way of the Warrior. You know, because the, the Mortal Kombat games, you know, always had sort of a look of, I don't, I don't know how to put it, they were B-movie, but it was a good B-movie to the costumes, if that makes sense. Like, you can tell they put the effort into it, they, you know, actually tried to make them look good, and then there's stuff like Way of the Warrior and Fight Man in this one, where it just looks like a bunch of not even good cosplayers just you know acting stuff out you know larping uh in in front of a green screen but uh let's you know we're at the point let's just go ahead and start wrapping it up and uh ask the most important question of all which i've already answered way back at the beginning of the episode is it entertaining uh yeah it it is a movie that i absolutely adore uh i think if you if you need something that just makes you feel good ultimately this movie will do it it's got a dark humor to it this does have some cringe humor to it it does have some moments that are a little bit of a gut punch and and like i said actively rooted against them getting back together for a good chunk of the film but ultimately it's a heart to the film and I think it says something that a character as unlikable as Jared, you do find yourself rooting for in the film, especially towards the end. You, you do find yourself you know, hoping for him to be happy, hoping for him to uh, reconnect with his family and, and uh, you know, the whole family to heal some of the problems that they have. You, know, you find yourself rooting for these people. 
which is not something that's easy to pull off for a lot of filmmakers. For this to be the first film, first feature-length film uh, for for uh, Taika Waititi, and to pull all of this off, you know, you know like I said, it's it's a low-budget film. It's an easy watch. It does go pretty dark in a few areas, but ultimately, it's a really good film. I, I gotta recommend it. So, what is our next episode? I honestly cannot tell you right now. Uh, I have one in mind, but then earlier today, as I was getting, you know, uh, this morning, uh, I became aware of a film called The Show, which was written by Alan Moore, the comics legend, the guy who wrote uh, Watchmen, whose graphic novels have been the basis for films like From Hell, uh, Watchmen, of course, uh, V for Vendetta, um, oh god, what, what was the one that just went right out of my, oh, uh, the League of, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, so the idea that he's written a film, and from, I watched the trailer, it just looks absolutely crazy, and it's supposed to be based loosely around, uh, some of his beliefs, like some of his way, some of the ways he thinks the universe works, because he is an, uh, a wizard, he has been a practicing wizard uh, since the 60s, 70s. And like I said, the, the whole movie just looks a little crazy. So I'm trying to see if I can get a hold of it. And if I can in time, I kind of want to do the next episode on that. If not, or... or um, yeah, And there's some other things that may play into whether I, I, I do it as an episode this quick or not. But... Yeah, part of me, it is going to wind up being an episode at some point. I mean, I am going to watch this movie. I'm going to tell you about it. I am going to have to do a ton of research uh, about more and, and the film and some of the stuff in it. I, I can just tell from the trailer, this is going to be so much research I'm going to have to do to try to make sense of, of this film just based on, on the, the trailer and just the few blurbs I've seen about it and knowing more from being a comic fan for as long as I have been. So right now, I'm not sure what the next episode is going to be. If not that, it will be something else. Though I, I hadn't really decided yet. You know what? We'll go with the Deadlands. We'll stick with our, our uh, you know down under theme. We started with the Eagle versus Shark. We'll go with the Deadlands, which is a uh, Maori-based... Uh, fantasy story that I bought from Dollar Tree because the back of it looked interesting the trailer looked really good so next week's either going to be Alan Moore's The Show or The Deadlands and right now I'm kind of leaning more towards The Deadlands because uh, I know I can get a hold of that one and watch it and do all the research before the next episode so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Celluloid Fever Dreams if you liked what you heard tell a friend if you didn't tell an enemy Either way, if uh, wherever you listen to me from allows you to leave reviews, leave one or leave a five-star rating. Uh, I do have social media accounts, and occasionally I remember to post on them. I have a Twitter at C Fever Dreams. I have a uh, Instagram at Celluloid Fever Dreams, and I have a TikTok at Celluloid Fever Dreams. I've got to get more comfortable at filming myself because I do have ideas for TikToks that uh, you know, work better as TikToks than trying to work them into an episode or do a special episode. You know, I, I can't do 30 minutes on um, my personal headcanon 
for Friday the 13th, the original film, but I could do three. Uh, I just got to get more comfortable at, at doing that. But uh, either way, oh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd, if any of you have the app or you're on there, at uh, Wyndham Jennings, W-Y-N-D-H-A-M, J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can be a lot of things. You can choose to be a lot of things. One of the best ones you can choose to be is kind, especially to yourself, because you matter. Uh, And I hope you all have a good week until the next time we can be together. And I'd like to thank you for letting me be a little bit part of your day and you listen to me ramble on for a few minutes. But until next time, I have been Wyndham Jennings. This has been Celluloid Fever Dreams. And uh, I'll save you a seat as long as you keep bringing the snacks. Good night, everybody.